You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good morning. Hello, Zoom. Hello, City Church. Good morning. Welcome to City Church. Today is Affirming Sunday. Uh, We're so glad you're here. Uh, We are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things, and we're all so glad that you're here. Um, Now we get the privilege, the honor, the joy of hearing a prayer by our own Dia Rubio. Welcome. Oh, uh, I'm Tiger. Sorry, I forgot. I'm Tiger. My pronouns are they, them. Welcome. Thank you, Dia. I'm Dia. My also they, them. Um, okay, let's pray. Um, God, thanks so much for all the kids. I include myself there. I'm awesome. Um, so protect them as they go off and have lots of fun learning. Protect all the kids in this community, around this country, around the world, especially the queer kids. There was another anti-trans law for gender-affirming care in minors passed in Texas, I think yesterday. So especially in praying for all the kids there. Yeah. In your name we pray. Amen. Kiddo, kiddos, you are welcome to go out with your fearless helpers. I am Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church Long Beach. Are you on that side? Because no, you're need, weirding no, me out. I know. I need he to go always on this takes side. this side. I don't care, but he does. Uh, this is Brenda Rubio. Hi. Appreciate <laughs> <laughs> you, Brenda Rubio. Um, and we are in a sermon series right now talking about friendship. We're in the book of Second Timothy, which is a little tiny little book in the New Testament. Uh, just a couple of pages long, where an older friend is writing to a younger friend, and there's a lot in there about relationships and and how to be friends. And so we're we're looking at that. And so today, we are thinking a little bit how sometimes people don't stand beside us in the moment of our need, and that there are other folks who do. And in particular, we're thinking about chosen family. Chosen family being those those folks who just sort of adopt you into their lives and demonstrate that kind of loyalty and faithfulness uh, and care that we all need. Um, because probably all of you have experienced this to some degree where a family member or a friend has has not shown up, right? There, it's, it's the hour of your need and things are, are hard. And instead of coming through, they step away. And you feel it, right? It cuts deep. And we're looking at a situation where, where the Apostle Paul, he's early church leader, he's writing to Timothy about a situation just like that. But we're, we're not really focusing on, on the heartache. It, it's very appropriate to do so. And grieving really matters. We'd rather think today about the resilience and the joy and the, and the gift of having a chosen family. 
this week uh, I had a chance to see it on full display. Um, we had another uh, real, real crisis in my family. Uh, as, as many of you know, my mom passed uh, in December. And on her birthday, uh, May 24th, my nephew, who's 24, same age as my son, uh, he went to bed at night and he did not wake up the next morning. Um, he had no pre-existing health conditions. Um, just super, super sad. So I flew back to Virginia this week, did my second funeral in five months. Um, and just, I mean, just heartbreaking. I mean, I mean, we, I mean, we, it was messy. And it's still, honestly, it's still kind of messy. Um, in the process, I got to witness family at a, at a higher level. Uh, my older brother was his son. Uh, he and his ex-wife uh, just showed up so strong. And my brother's got this incredible community in the Alcoholics Anonymous world that, I mean, they're chosen family. They... I mean, just have come through for him. Like the morning that my brother found out, his sponsor left work, drove straight to my brother's house, picked him up. My brother says he doesn't even remember where they drove. He spent the whole day. Uh, my, my sister-in-law, Mia, has become sort of the, the mother of, of this whole friend group of my nephew, Luke. And so, I mean, it's just incredible to see I, I visited the house and just dozens of kids are just coming through the house. And there was this moment that really, really stood out to me. Um, there were many, but one was at the, at the big service, um, which was super well done, so thoughtful. One of, the, one of Luke's friends got up, this 24-year-old young man. And he starts off, and this is what he says. He says, uh, and maybe some of you can relate to this. He said, I was raised in church. He's, he's, he starts with this. Hi, my name's Charlie. I was raised in church. I went to church seven days a week. And I was never good enough. And they always let me know that I was not fully accepted. That I wasn't, I wasn't godly enough. I didn't pray enough. I wasn't the right person. And that I, I just always felt like a disappointment. And then I met Luke. And Luke loves really well. And there were 800 people at this service. I mean, you could just feel the love. Luke was just such a lover. He said, I met Luke. And Luke's mom, Mia, welcomed me into her home. And after all the shame and, and hatred that I experienced growing up in the church, I found something different in this home. And Mama Mia, she became like a mother to me and to all my friends. And then he said, I couldn't, this is at the funeral, he says this, he says, and some of you might be thinking right now that that's the kind of church that I'm a part of. And I want you to ask yourselves, is that really the kind of God you want to serve? You need to leave your God and find Mama Mia's God mm -hmm. because he's a lot better. Hmm. I mean, you could hurt a pin drop. 
that here's this guy standing up saying, look, this is actually what it's about. It's about love and support and care. And those kids were powerful. I mean, we wept and wept and are still weeping. But it's, it's the beauty. You can see family, biological family shows up sometimes, right? And then there's chosen family. The family says, I choose you. Come in, you're mine. I'm there for you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at that uh, today. We're going to unpack that uh, a little bit as we uh, hear the scripture today. If you would welcome uh, Isabel Arechiga, who's going to read scripture for us. Woo! And if you're able and if you'd like to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Isabel's got some some names to read for us today. Just to go with confidence. Yeah, you better get those names right. <laughs> Nobody like, knows if agree. you're doing it right. I don't know if you're doing it right. Just go for it. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy on the household of, of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, When he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Isabel. So it's so interesting because this little passage does start with grief. And it starts with grief because relationships matter. Relationships really matter. You know, there are all sorts of like studies out there, right, about those things that will help us not only live longer, but live really good lives, like the healthiest lives that we possibly can. And of course, those sorts of studies focus on all sorts of things like, okay, you know, water and food and sleep. Of course, we need that, right? We're basic organisms like everything else. But then all those studies also talk about relationships. Like relationships are actually as core, as key, as just fundamental to who we are and to our flourishing as people, as food, as water, as sleep. We need relationships. And, um, you know, the Apostle Paul is a little bit of a complicated figure. Some of you know this, some of you feel this. I think we're going to talk about that even a little bit more next week when you have two women preaching. Um, He's a little, he's a little controversial at times. But this morning, I would actually like to start by pointing out the ways that the Apostle Paul, like many of us here this morning, often did not fit. He didn't fit. He did not fit the culture that he was part of. Relationships, community may have been really complicated for Paul and not only because he was kind of a know-it-all sometimes. I mean, sure, there were some personality factors that probably played in, but then there are some other things. And again, we may actually feel like, oh yeah, I get that one. For instance, the apostle Paul, his religious beliefs and practices changed really profoundly 
in his adult life. He had had a place, an important place, a like way up there kind of place in his religious culture of birth. And then things started to change on him really radically. And he was, don't get me wrong, still completely connected to his Jewish roots and identity. But it had changed. And you, you kind of have to think it shifted some relationships too, right? And he had lost that safe, privileged position. How about the fact that Paul was single in a culture where kind of like ours still today, marriage was the norm. Marriage and having kids. Paul didn't do that. He was single. He actually was not fitting into the gender and sexual norms of his time just by staying single. And then he traveled around all the time and, and all this stuff started happening to him and you know he gets beaten and he gets imprisoned. You gotta think relationships are complicated for this guy, right? And so we start off with some grief in this passage because there was someone who he thought, a couple of friends that he had thought would be there for him in the midst of it all. Despite everything, he thought they would be there for him and they weren't. They deserted him and it it matters and so he takes a moment to share that pain with his friend Timothy who he's writing to and this morning some of you may need to take a moment to feel it to identify it yeah I have felt that pain whether it's family or friends there have been people who have not been there for me when I thought they would be and it hurt because we need relationships like we need water but then he moves on and he starts to celebrate we start to see his resilience the resilience that he finds in those friendships in those relationships that sometimes just come out of nowhere just surprise you because someone did show up and he gets to celebrate the relationship that he has with, with Onesiphorus. I have trouble saying it too. Because Onesiphorus showed up, refreshed him, wasn't ashamed of his chains. Anybody resonate with that word this morning? We want the friends, the chosen family who are unashamed of who we are searched hard for him was intentional it wasn't just like oh yeah it's convenient no searched hard worked hard to help paul in his difficult situations and this is a good friendship and paul needed it relationships are what help us be resilient in life and and so i just want to take a minute thinking about this relationship thinking about Mama Mia, the story that Bill started us out with this morning. And think about how we approach relationships. There is this resilient approach that says relationships, family, can be found, can be created. It's about what we intentionally do. It's about who we intentionally are to each other. 
versus a much more rigid and limited picture of what it means to be family. We actually see this in Jesus. There is this, uh, this moment, some of you re may remember this story where Jesus is doing his thing, teaching, yada, yada. And uh, someone comes and, you know, because he's kind of inside a house and says, hey, Jesus, Jesus, your mom and your brothers, they're outside. They were actually worried about him, right? His so mom and her brothers are like, what is he doing? And Jesus has this classic line because the way he responds is, eh, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, his friends, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister, my mother, my sibling, my family. And you know, I don't think Jesus is actually rejecting his family of birth. I mean, we see all the way at the cross, Mother Mary is there and Jesus is concerned for her welfare when he dies. He's not rejecting Mary. He's just saying, our picture too often is too small. We, we have this tendency to create out of our family, even out of our friend group sometimes, these little narrow tribes that are exclusive, that define who's in and who's out. And we just wanna huddle and Jesus is saying, no, my family is not like that. The tribe that I'm creating is not like that. My family has open arms. My family loves, my family welcomes, my family affirms. My family is known for who it includes. And Paul's picking up on that theme, not rigid family, but resilient family, chosen family. In the book of Ephesians, he writes and he says, hey, all of you, you're not strangers anymore. You're no longer in this family or that family, that tribe or this tribe. That's not how it works anymore. Now you're all members of the household of God. This family is big, it's wide, it's open full of love. It's the stuff we need. I, uh, I was doing some reading this week, uh, especially looking just to find some queer voices, just to, that we would all get to listen to this particular Sunday. I mean, we always love to lift up um, our queer voices, but for this Sunday in particular, and I came across this poem that just, it spoke to me. Um, by a man named, oh, I have it written down, Micah Busey. Uh, and, and the context for this is he's had this encounter, this queer man with a young boy and his family, and the little boy wants to connect and bond with him by showing fingernail polish and how it matches. As the context for this poem, and I just want to invite you to listen, to think about Paul, and his found family, um, Jesus, his chosen family, maybe you and yours. I feel that word fizzing up inside me, though it often frightens more than freeze. Family, I sing praises to this family that claims me for who I am and gently shoves me into who I can become. I sing praises to the saints 
who don't want to be saints, to the martyrs and the heroes who ask for none of the notoriety. I sing praises to the bloodless ties that keep us afloat, blood ties catch up. I sing praises to the clouds that cry out, families belong together and know that it means so much more than what some want it to mean. I sing praises to this fleeting moment on the street, a moment that begins between two nail polished people and then prisms out, extending the rainbow, creating the cloud. We are twins and we are nothing alike. We are seeking a tribe and we are extending the tribe. We have so much to teach and we have so much to learn. We have eternal praises to sing and we have eternal thanks to give. I love that. That was beautiful. Hmm. Um, so chosen family looks different, right? Everyone, it, we, we, you can't like put it in a box. It's the idea of you, you're choosing into family. And so we wanted to have just one more example of what that looks like. And so uh, if you'd welcome Byron Bush as he comes up, he's going to share a little bit of his story with us today. Been trying to get you up here to sing, but if I, you know, maybe maybe this will be the this will be the first step. And now, Brenda's got the good light right here. Yeah, right here. That's good. It looks good. Here, come step in the middle for our Zoom people, though. You still get some light. It's okay. It's okay. Always find your light. Byron's is kind of a small personality. Morning. I picked up on that. So, um, how long have you been around City Church? Why are you here? Um, this will, it'll be three years this summer that we've been coming to um, City Church, and we love it, love it, love it. Love three it. years, yeah, and we still haven't gotten you up here singing. And I have not come up here to sing yet. <laughs> okay, but I'm here today. Who knows? Okay, here you are. It's just I'm just putting it out there, just adding a little gentle pressure, that gentle shove that she went on. Peer pressure, peer pressure. There Thank you. you. Um, so. So chosen, so you're close with your family. You have a zillion friends. Very, yes, zillion friends. Good friends, Good dear friends. friends. Right? Um, some of whom That's how up. I'm here. That's why I'm at this church. Rod is my best friend. Yeah. Aww. And he came here. We met in church years ago, and then we left that church for whatever. And then he was shopping for churches, and I was like, I'll let him do all the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> like and a good so, friend like a good friend does so he did all the hard work and then found his church and so then we came after him yeah great so, awesome. yes thank you Rod yeah it works but uh but you you got some of your chosen family here today oh, supporting you which is great um but there's a kind of an unusual situation that happened um so tell us a little bit what do you do for your so, job I'm a school counselor at a middle school so okay. this is the end of my 29th year wow Two more years and I'm out. He started when he started when he was 11 uh, in that job. Um, Smart. But uh, so so along the way, a number of years ago, you you met a kid Didn't and kid. tell us a little bit about. Uh, um, so as a counselor, kid. my one of my primary jobs is to schedule everybody at the beginning of the year to make sure everybody has all the classes that they need. Um, before computers got as smart as they are now, a lot of times at the beginning of the year, there would be all these kids in the auditorium who didn't have schedules on the first day because their schedules were messed up. And so 
Sometimes it looked like this <laughs> on the first day of school, which would freak us out because we had to get all these kids scheduled and not overload classes and get it all done. Um, one year, particularly, um, I was, the auditorium did look like this. And so as I'm fixing kids' schedules and coming in the back door and like calling out names and saying, you know, trying to get kids out, um, this little kid walks up to me and he's like, are you the one in charge of getting these schedules done? What am I getting out of this auditorium? <laughs> Your kind of guy. And I'm like, I don't know who this little sassy queer kid is, but he better back up. <laughs> um, and so that's how, when I first met Shayland, and, um, and I was just like, oh my God. Um, but he was sweet and sassy. And, um, and then part of his, um, he was in foster care, as I found out later, but part of his um, strategies for, for his safety was to um, connect with people that he thought he could trust at whatever school he was at. And so I became that person. And then if I wasn't there, it was this woman, Elizabeth, who also worked in office. Mm -hmm. And so- um, So over time, how did, how did so that relationship- he was like, like my shadow. Like I would get to work and he would be sitting in my office. Um, during lunch, he would be outside with my little lunch friends and we were always hanging out. Um, school got out at 3.30, then he would be in my office until I left at 4.30. And there were times that those, you know, hour-long conversations when I am trying to get some work done, and he's just chit-chatting and, <laughs> da, 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 and sharing everything about his life. And, um, and he had been in foster care since he was in second grade. And so he was just sharing all this stuff, and he's a little um, um, specific. And so he would bring in, one day he brought in like his whole little document file of all of his court stuff. And he's like sharing all this information with me and gave me a social worker's phone number. And so, I mean, it was like a yeah. really, really good conversation that yeah. went on for months and months. And, um, and I had always wanted to be a dad. And like the year before, I had gone to like the initial adoption class that you go to if you want to think about, if you're thinking about adopting. And I'm sorry, Brenna. No, you're good. I'm listening. <laughs> All ears. <laughs> um, and so I had gone to the class, but I hadn't really done anything. I had just gone to the, like, the initial class that you have to go to. And, um, but I had friends at church who knew that I was thinking about, you know, somewhere that I wanted to be a dad because I had wonderful parents and I wanted to give that to somebody specific. I felt like I was using it every day in my counseling world because right. I was everybody's dad at school. Um, but I felt like I really wanted to be a dad. And so, um, yeah, so that was how I always felt. Yeah. Um, but, but, but then that shifted, right? Because he, he moved schools and then he was so, gone. Yeah, so he was at my school beginning of the school year, so September, and he was only there until January mm. um, when he got put into a different foster home, so he got sent to a different school. Yeah. So he was out of my life. So, so he was, but then he wasn't. Um, no, yeah, he was, he was gone. And then um, he called me in seventh grade and um, he was living with, a, what he said it was his grandfather, but I found out it's like friends of his mom's, of his mom. So it was like fake grandparents, but he was living with him, but he tells me he's with his grandparents. So I'm like, okay, good. So he's safe, he's with family. I can, you know, check that off my box. I don't, you know, I don't have to think about him and worry about him, like where is he, who's he with, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so then, so that was, I don't know when in seventh grade, but that was when he was in seventh grade. So then fast forward, he calls me in ninth grade 
And so I was, you know, he, I given him my cell phone number when he was in sixth grade because, you know, you never know. So I gave him my cell phone number on my business card and I told him, I said, my email will never change because I'm not changing jobs, which I haven't. Um, and my cell phone number is here, so you can always reach me, you know, if anything happens. And so in ninth grade, he calls me on my cell phone. I'm sitting in my house and just kind of chilling on the bed. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, so good to hear from you and how's everything? And he tells me that he's not with his grandparents anymore, um, that he's in a group home up in Shadow Hills, up in like way the heck up there in um, Burbank, above Burbank or somewhere. Anyway, so, um, you know, I heard that and it was just like, my heart just kind of cracked. And I was like, oh, you know, that's, I can't say that word, but, um, <laughs> you know, because it was, and he's living in this group home and he's, you know, still his positive self and telling me it's okay and it's fine. Um, but I felt bad and I was, you know, sitting there in my house and I'm thinking about my spare room, bedroom, which is a closet, which I call the armory. Um, <laughs> And so, and I was just like, you know, but I didn't say anything. And I was just, you know, like, all right. And we had a great conversation. So this is January or so. And so then we like had regular conversations, January, February, his birthday's in March. And so I said, I would love to see you for your birthday. Can I come up to the group home and maybe bake cupcakes and bring them to the house? And, and he was like, no, you probably can't do that. Um, but so where he was in this group home, there was horse ranches, and so he volunteered at a horse ranch. Um, that was one of the things they offered to the kids. So he was volunteering at a horse ranch, and he was volunteering on his birthday. So I said, well, I'll just meet you at the horse ranch, and I'll just you know, give you some cupcakes for his birthday. <laughs> and so um, I drove up. It was like an hour drive. It was forever. Um, but I, you know, and he had asked for like whipped cream cupcakes with strawberries, which if you know cupcakes, like the whipped cream frosting is very delicate. And so when then you put fresh fruit on it, like Byron's a cook, by the way. Yeah. And so very, stuff slides, but here I am trying to take these cupcakes, you know, and it was warm. It was May, but it was, I mean, it was March, <laughs> but it was warm. Um, You're saying so there's a lot of love. It was a lot of love. I brought, got him some birthday gifts. And so I got him to the ranch. <laughs> called him on his phone, he came out, and it's the first time I've seen him since he was 11. And so um, it was wonderful to see him. And so we hugged and I gave him his stuff and then he's like, I gotta go. And so he went back and- um, You just kept developing this relationship. Yes, and then so we met at the mall um, and hung out for a day, which was wonderful. And I remember sitting across from him at lunch, just looking into his eyes, just like, wow, I think this could be something. You know, but I wasn't sure because I was not ready to commit. Um, and so when I hadn't said anything to him or anything because I didn't want to get his hopes up. And I mean, even when he was in sixth grade, I remember telling Rod and some people at church that, oh, my God, I met the kid. Um, and they were all happy for me. And then he left the school. So um, so this is his ninth grade year. So we met at the mall. So then I said, well, let me talk to your social worker, because this is probably not cool that this grown man is meeting you at the mall. <laughs> You know, even though I'm me and I know I'm safe and you know I'm safe, but you know, whatever. So I reached out to a social worker and she was like, well, who are you and why do you want to see this child? And so that was a little dicey for a hot second where they thought I was, you know, somebody else. Um, but then it started, we started, you know, I had to go in and get questioned by them and um, go through the whole process of just, I just wanted to see him. I just said, I just want to spend some time with him. Like, I'll just go to the group home and just spend time. 
And so the social worker was like, well, that's not really, you can't just do that. You have to be, where are you going with this? And I was like, well, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just would like to spend some time with him and he wants to spend time with me. So that should just be okay. Um, so we did that. So I went up to supervised visits and anybody's ever had supervised visits, they are bizarre. You know, so you're like, you know, hanging out with your person, whatever, with, with any your... situation. Uh -huh. And then there's like this other person just sitting there like on their phone or, you know, kind of looking at mm -hmm. you like they're waiting for you to like, oh, yeah, reach out and do something. It's really bizarre. <laughs> um, so we graduated from that to I could pick him up and take him out. And then we graduated from that to um, he got to come down and see me. And um, but at that point, I had already, um, you know, I was remember driving one evening and thinking, I love my life. I love, 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 love my life. I have wonderful friends. I had a beautiful family. And um, I love where I lived. I love all this stuff. But I was like, God, is this the best I can do? Is this it? You know, I'm happy. I'm super happy. And like, I mean, not very often have I heard a voice in my head that I attribute to God. But like on that day, driving down Carson, like I heard, no, you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and so and you can kind of see how God said it with this little bit of an attitude. With a little attitude. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so that night when I was talking to Shayland and I said to him, I said, would you like to be a part of my family? And he said, yes, so fast. I wasn't really ready for it. I thought he was going to like think about it and mm. let me tell you tomorrow. And um, but he was like, yes. And so then that like started the ball where I, you know, called the social worker and said, this is where we're going. Like, this is now I have a direction. Wow. And so um, this is his ninth grade year. So that's his ninth grade year. So this is like maybe April, May. So May ish. Mm -hmm. So then I started taking like the real adoption classes. And then by August, he was living with me. Mm. And now he is your and now and then so then so that was August and then a year after that in December, we had our adoption ceremony. Oh. Wow. So, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so. and, and just in, in one or two sentences, because we're, we're going to wrap up here. Yeah, sorry, but now, no, now everything's so perfect, right? No, everything is not perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we had some really great times living together. Um, he moved out when he was 19, which, thank God, was right before COVID. Woo! That would have been crazy! <laughs> um, but his biological mother passed away a year ago yeah. and he kind of spiraled um after that for you know different reasons and so he's just kind of pushed me out and um which has been hard but i mean you know he's 23 now so he's got to yeah. find himself um you know i text him all the time and he now like will heart my text which i'm like <laughs> um, so it's there's some so it's, distance there's some reconnection there's distance, but there's, I, it's it's moving in the right yeah, direction i mean it's just it's it is people it's, so, it's parenting i know i mean as a counselor i know parents who are amazing people who have really crappy kids um <laughs> and they're there is biologically so you know but as people we're all kind of crappy sometimes and that's just kind of the space we're in this moment but I, I appreciate, right? You don't, you know, you don't just put a bow on top and say everything's perfect. No, it's like, no, no, no. this is it's messy, yeah, it but is messy. this is chosen family. Yes. Well, Would you thank Byron Bush? That was so good. Thank you for sharing that. Good. So 
so great. It is messy. We are all messy. Um, that's just one story, right? It can look so different. It does look so different for all of us. And I wonder if so many of us, have we taken the time to ask that question, to be open enough just to ask God, God, I love my life, but could I be doing better? Could there be more love? Could there be more family? And what would God say to us? I want to end with a final uh, quote, because in just a minute, a few minutes, we are going to have the opportunity um, to ordain and install some new leaders around here at City Church, some developers and connectors. If you're familiar with more traditional churches, there they might call them um, elders and deacons, but, but people who help lead and guide us and, and in a lot of ways model what it means for us to be family as a church. But it's not just their job. And that's what I love about this quote from queer pastor Mihi Kim Court. Uh, she's just reflecting on radical belonging and what she learned from the Korean American church of her youth. I think our church truly became like a family to us, not because we shared the same language or lineage, but because we were a part of each other's moments, all those struggles and celebrations throughout the whole week. How wonderful it is that we are given, we, the holy and sacred task of holding space for one another, for this shared belovedness, not just clergy or the elders or deacons, not only those ordained, but all of us are called to convey the presence and promise of God's steadfast love, to be witnesses to one another's belovedness. And it can happen in what seems like ordinary and everyday acts of belonging, a phone call, a visit, a meal, a prayer.